You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Father, we are so grateful for what you've done. Father, we do. Some of us that gathered here three years ago downstairs, we just thought, what could God possibly do? God, you are so faithful. Lord, even this morning, we've been thinking, some of us, about what we're going to worry about maybe this coming year, these weeks, these months. God, we look back and we see your faithfulness and we are so grateful to you. You are a faithful, faithful God. Lord, we know that we've had cheers. We know there's been tears as well in those three years. But we thank you. You've always been there. You've never let us go. Amen. Amen. Great. If you've got a Bible, I'd love it if you could turn to Psalm 46. We've been looking at Psalms, the uh, largest uh, book in the middle of the Old Testament. Uh, The first week we looked at the creator in the Psalms who deserves our praise. Then we looked at the teacher who demands our obedience. Last week we looked at the lover who longs for our confessions. And this week we're looking at the helper who rewards our trust. I honestly feel we've saved the best psalm till last. I'm probably biased because I'm preaching on it, but I'd like to say history is on my side as well. Martin Luther, he was a German priest in the 1500s, used this psalm as a basis for a hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, and that has been translated into 183 languages. John Wesley, who was the founder of Methodist Church, he used to meditate upon this psalm as he was preparing for death, saying, actually, God, even in my weakness, I look to you. John Calvin, he was a French guy who was involved as a pastor, again in the 1500s. He chose this to be the first psalm he translated into French. William Carey, he was nicknamed the founder of the father of modern mission. He went from this country, a Baptist guy, and did a missionary organization in India. He he, he developed a whole printing press there, and one day it caught fire. I mean, he was devastated. Because actually, you know, they were converting um, the the Bible into the Indian dialect and the whole lot was lost. The next week, he stood up and preached on Psalm 46. This has been such a... In fact, there's even a thing for some of you that are literary people here. William Shakespeare. Apparently, he was involved in um, the writing of the King James Version of the Bible. So so the, the myth goes... And on his 46th birthday, he was doing Psalm 46. And that the 46 letters in from the beginning is shake, and 46 letters back from the end is spear. And so he's even stuck his own name in there. I don't know whether you believe that or not, but what I do believe is this. This psalm has got something for you. And this psalm is not just something that people throughout history have read. I honestly believe that there is something for us today. Now, I'm going to read it to you. Uh, We know from the title, I don't want to go too long into that, that this was a big psalm. It would have had a choir there. The people would have been involved. And so I would like to get you involved. So I'm going to read from verse 1 to 6, and then I would like everyone to stand and declare verse 7 to me. Then you sit down, and I will then read to verse 10, and I want everyone to then stand and read verse 11 to me. Got it? 7 and 11. I'm going to kick off. Let's go. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. 
Though the earth give way and the mountain fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. You don't have to say Selah. It means pause. Reflect. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy place where the most high dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. Fantastic, sit down. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes the wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Oh, I love this psalm. I think it is packed full of truth that will really speak to us. I'm going to go in the, the three sort of sections that there are, in case you hadn't picked that up. One to three, pause. Four to, ten, no, four to seven, pause. And eight to ten. I believe the psalm starts like this. God is our refuge in times of crisis. We are to trust in him. The the, the whole focus of the psalm is God. It starts there. That should be our focus. This is a common picture about God being our refuge. Trust me on this. Don't count now. Apparently, it's used 44 times just in the book of Psalms. There's 150 Psalms. God is our refuge. God is our refuge. God is our refuge. It is used 94 times in the whole Bible. God is our refuge. God is our refuge. Trust in God. God is our strength, our ever-present help, our fortress. Some of these pictures, if we had time to go into them, it would be almost like God is a rock. You know, when the floods sort of come and you think, golly, everything's going to get washed away, I could cling to this massive permanent rock. God is our shelter. And I know on a day like this, we would probably think to hide from the rain. That's not really how it would have been there. For them, it would have been to actually hide from the sun. It would have been so intense and so burning. Golly, I just need to get into a shelter and to hide. God is our stronghold. We can hide from opposing military power. Someone's coming to attack us. We're in trouble. Hide in God. Bill Hybels, he leads a church in Chicago called Willow Creek says, this psalm is God in a crisis. No, no, we're in the crisis, but God is there with us. We've heard quite a bit about this morning. You may well be in a crisis right now. A routine doctor's appointment, and you get some bad news. You lose your job suddenly. Your daughter gets pregnant outside of marriage, and you think, oh, no. Your son is picked up by the police. Wife threatens to leave you. We will face trouble. This psalm 
declares you're going to face trouble. Sometimes if we're really honest, we think, I'm going to sign up to follow Jesus and everything will be fine. When you follow Jesus, you will still face trouble. Whether it be a natural catastrophe or a national attack. There's this whole thing of the mountain, something that's permanent. Golly, even them collapsing. The seas could mean the uprooting of the nations. John Goldinger, you'd never have heard of him. But I read a very good commentary from him this week. He's an Old Testament professor. He says this, God does not guarantee that trouble will not come to those who trust him. But he does guarantee that when trouble comes, he will be the rock that saves us, the citadel that protects us, and the tower that frustrates our enemies. So I'm not here this morning saying, hey, come to Jesus, you'll have no problems. But I am saying he wants to be there with you in them. It's funny because the Israelites, when they were faced with problems, they had a, a, a variety of ways of responding to them. Let's be honest, the problem in those days was another country could come and attack you. Sometimes they used to think, I'm going to fight my way out of it. You know what I'm going to say? I think this is pretty evenly matched. You're coming against us, we're going to fight back. Is that what you do? When you suddenly got troubled, you just think, right, I'm going to fight. I, I, I don't stand a chance, but at least I'm going to fight. If they thought, hey, I can't fight, they used to try and buy their way out of trouble. And so what used to happen is another nation would come and sort of surround them, and they would say, look, if we give you all the gold that we've got, would you just leave us alone? And sometimes nations, you think, well, actually, really, that's all we came for. You're in a lot of trouble already. So they used to literally give them the gold at the temple or whatever, and they would go. Or if that didn't work, sometimes they used to bow their way out of trouble. What do I mean by that? They used to suddenly say, help, help. The, the Egyptians, if you come and defend us, we will bow down and worship you. And so what they used to say is, oh, golly, I don't think we're going to do this. I don't think we've got enough money to buy this lot off. Oh, but we will bow down to the Egyptians and they will defend us. God said, look, when trouble comes, look to me. That's what he said to this nation. When trouble comes, look to me. I want to be your place of refuge. I want to ask you the question then. Where do you look? Is it to the credit card? Trouble comes, I'll pay my way out of it. Is it to your, your parents? Trouble comes, dad, mum, help. Trouble comes, you think, oh, God, i just got to look inside myself. I've got to dig deep, dig deep, dig deep. I can do it. Or do we honestly come and say, God, you're my refuge. I look to you. That's what this psalm is saying. God is our refuge and our strength. Selah, pause. That's what we're going to take in. So it's almost like there's this individual response to trouble. And then it goes on to, from verse 4 to to six, it really talks about the city. It talks about Jerusalem and Zion. It doesn't actually mention them, but that is definitely the feel that we would get here. Make glad the city of God. And so it's difficult because we could read a psalm like this and suddenly think, okay, what's this got to do with us in London today? Is this just about a certain people in a certain place? I would say no. God never suggested that they have a king. If you read the Old Testament, they wanted a king. God almost said, okay, I'm really your king. God never said, I want you to take on this city. David took the city and God really adopted it. 
God never actually even said build the temple. David said, it's my desire to build you a temple. And God says, well, you can build that, but I'm going to make your house even greater. This wasn't what God had pushed for. What did God find so fascinating about this place? I think it's because he wanted to be with the people. He had adopted them as his people. It wasn't just about a geography or a location. It was about his presence. I think that is true for us as well. I mean, when you look at the picture there earlier and you think, God, we used to meet in that sort of hall downstairs. You think, oh, I, I like meeting here. Some of you will know that we can't stay here forever. The council are planning on turning this into a hotel. And we've been told that, you know, by the very latest, we'll have to be out by March next year. I don't know what the next place will look like where we're going to meet. But what I do know is this. It's God's presence that changes things. God's presence is here. Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four stories in the Bible that record the life of Jesus, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Adam brought this word, didn't he, right at the end. Actually, there's this thing about knowing God. And it's not just about knowing God for half an hour. Actually, if you know him now, it will overflow into your whole life. I mean, isn't that incredible? We don't just have to think, oh, golly, I've done my half hour, my hour, my two hours on a Sunday, whatever it is. God is with me at school, at college, at university, when I'm looking for a job, when I'm trying to raise my kids. God is there. I love this picture. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Oh, most of us would know that London, let's be honest, grew up around the river. Nicky and I did one of these London walks two weeks ago. You know, they did these walks all around London, and the tour guide was telling us Londinium, as it was 2,000 years ago, was established because they came up the river, they stop here, and then they start doing life. Most cities are built around a river, if we're really honest. That's true today, if you go to Paris. But actually, it was true even if you went back in the Bible times. You could read, and I haven't got time to go through it now, in Two Kings about Damascus. You could read about Nineveh. You could read about Babylon. They were all focused around rivers. But Jerusalem wasn't. See, what is really fascinating is if you go there, there isn't a river. It's not built alongside a river. So what's this all about? Well, I wonder if actually it made them realize how fragile they were. You see, you know that when David took the city on, he said, look, there's no river inside. There's no water source, but there is a spring up there. Actually, if I could block the spring or I could climb in through that water source, I could take the city. And so I think this was a picture almost saying to the city, look, there is no physical river here. You are in a fragile place that must rely upon God. It's not, oh, you can suddenly rely upon some natural resource that's just bubbling up inside of you. They had to recognize they're dependent upon God. Now, we know that they then did channel these springs into the city. And it it talks here, doesn't it, then, about streams, something of, of life. 
This is a biblical picture. And we could look right throughout the Bible. In fact, if we started right in Genesis, first book of the Bible, beginning, it says there's a river watering the garden that flowed from Eden. From there, it's separated. There's almost like God's presence in God's perfect place. There's this river of life. We know that in the prophets, in Ezekiel, that the prophet sees a picture of the temple. And out of the temple flowed this river of life. We know that ultimately Jesus Christ said in John 7, on the last and greatest day of the feast, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. As the scriptures say, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit. So I believe that actually what this picture is, is, hey, in the first sense, you can run to God individually and know your strength. In the second sense, we can know that God's presence is here. God dwells within his people. I praise God for these great musicians. And they serve us so well. But sometimes, you know what I'm saying? You can be singing and suddenly you feel like something's just changed. And you almost just feel like you become aware of the presence of God in a powerful way. I just think, whoa, you know what I'm saying? God is here. Last week here during the meeting, somebody prayed out in a, in a tongue. We would say that's a language not learned. It's a language given by God. And somebody brought the interpretation. You know, again, it's not a word for word. It's but God has said this, and then somebody's brought us the... And whenever that happens, you know, it's almost like the hairs on the back of my neck stand up, and I think, God is in the house. We're not just singing. God is here. This is the picture. Hey, if, if we need to know God as our helper, we need to know God is here. Sunday mornings, it's not just, oh, well, I, I turn up because I'm on a rotor. I'm here because God is here. God is here. What I want to ask you is, have you got dehydrated? Have you stopped drinking of God? Has life got so busy? Can you believe it? One month gone already. You think, whoa, I've, I've stopped drinking. I confess it, I watched Call the Midwife yesterday. Not necessarily proud of that, but I did get quite moved. This one baby in the story was not feeding. The nurse came around and suddenly they're going, this, this baby's dehydrating, there's trouble, quick, we've got to get this baby something to it. It's going to die. It had been about two days, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I admit this, I sat there and cried. Now I want to ask the question, do you cry over not drinking for a couple of days from God? Or do you think, that's all right, I've gone a couple of weeks. I've gone a couple of months. But, you know, I've probably not had time with God. Hmm. God, was it really August last year? Because otherwise we would get dehydrated and suddenly someone would say, God, there's something wrong here. Desperately, let's get some help. So the hope is the fact that God wants to be inside of us. I, I mean, this, I feel this scripture is just packed with these truths. And I think, oh, man, like we should have done a series just on Psalm 46. There's so much there, isn't there? It says in verse 5, God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Now, again, we can slip over this so quickly. Break of day, what's that mean? What kind of time is it? Well, again, in the Bible, this was a time of God's intervention. Break of day. 
It's almost like the darkness of the night had gone and suddenly a new day becomes. There's new horizons, there's new possibilities. Who knows what could happen? It's break of day. I don't know if you know the Bible, but it says there that the people of God were slaves in Egypt for just over 400 years. And this guy Moses, you might have heard of him, was sent by God with the plagues to get them out. They got them out, and when they get out, they get to the Red Sea. And obviously they can't cross the sea, they reckon there's a million people. And suddenly the army with Pharaoh come up behind them, and they think, oh no, panic! And it says that actually, when did God part the Red Sea? Well, it says in the Bible, in Exodus 14, 27, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. There's almost this sense of victory at break of day. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? You see, if we, if we mine the Bible, we can see this. At another occasion, the Assyrians, these were baddies, if it was, you know, like a, a panto, you'd be going, boo, by now. The Assyrians had surrounded the Jewish people. And they were, they were panicking. They were thinking, oh, God, what's going to happen? We're going to get done by enemies. I, I think it was over 185,000. Yeah, I mean, that's half the population of Ealing all turned up, not in a friendly mood, outside your front door. You think, I'm in trouble. What do we read in 2 Kings 19? That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning at break of day they realized the victory that God had given. If we really had to think about the victory of God, who is our helper, then we would realize that this phrase, at break of day, was what? It was when they discovered that Jesus had risen. You go to Luke 24, verse 1, it says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they found the stone rolled away. Why? Because in Scripture, they said, at break of day, God comes in victory. And there's this sense of help. Whoa, he's my helper. Why? He lives inside of me. But there's this whole concept of break of day. I don't know if you're still in the darkest part of your night, but I honestly believe break of day is coming. And and come on, I'm expecting an amen and hallelujah on some of these points. I mean, genuinely, I think, God, did you realize that? Break of day is coming. That's what the Bible says. The the grave is empty. (laughs) I mean, you just think, man alive, this is good news, isn't it? God intervenes. That's why we trust in him. And then we go on to, after the second pause, come and see the works of God. I love this. <laughs> come and see the works of God. I, I, wish we could have, I wish we could look at every scripture on there. This was, again, was a phrase. It's almost, come and see what God has done. I mean, it's like, I want to show off about how great my dad is, my father in heaven. It says in Deuteronomy 29, verse 2, your eyes have seen all that the Lord did. It says in Exodus 14, and when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed, the people feared God. They put their trust in him. It's almost like, wow, see what God has done. That's why I trust in him as my helper. That's why... I like to, I'm sorry this was not up, the, the little PowerPoint earlier, I accept full responsibility. It's not the media standard this church has set. I'm sure we won't sink as low as my PowerPoint again. But I just thought, look back over three years and you think, that is our faithful God. That is our faithful God. That is what God has done. Come and see. 
Again, I think this is such a, a biblical picture. In, in the Gospel of Matthew, I told you this before, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In Matthew 28, verse 6, what did the angels say to the disciples? Come and see where he lay. Come and understand that he's risen. I mean, that, that's the picture of hope that we have. This is the helper that sets us free. More important than any miracle in your life is seeing that Jesus died and rose again. And, and this is the hope that we have. This is the help that we have. And then there's this thing in verse 10, be still and know. I don't know about you, you know, be still and know always thinks to me a little bit like a library, isn't it? Be still, be still and know. I used to do some uh, work in uh, Sussex University and their motto is be still and know. They never quite finished the verse, actually, which is be still and know that I'm God. It was just all about academic intelligence. And I guess we can have societies that think be still and know. In fact, they reckon that if you really drill down to this, it's not really a library that they're writing about. It's probably more like a sergeant marching an army. And that actually, the word be still and know is much more closer to attention! And everyone just stops and listens. What's happening? That is what they think the be still meant. Attention! Golly, why? What am I attending? They're obviously going to say something really important. It would have been that kind of control to the army. Stop, listen, be still and know that I am God. This is a huge challenge for us, isn't it? We fear so much because we know so much. I sometimes think the information superhighway just gives us new fears to have every day. I didn't realize half of these things were happening around the world, and now I'm worried about them. I'm not sure that I've got an answer for them, but I am worried about them. John Piper, who's a guy who leads a church out in the state, says, God hits home in the stillness. If you want your life to be significant, you've got to stop running and stop scurrying about. Turn off the TV and radio. Get alone and be quiet. Let the mammoth realities of human lostness and eternal judgment and never-ending joy and God's universal triumph take hold of you and change your life. This is the challenge. Often, if we're really honest, we don't know this helper because we don't take time out to engage. I think that this psalm says, look, actually, he, he helps us emotionally, physically, and if under spiritual attack. He helps us as an individual. He helps us as a city. He helps us as a nation. I don't know what your need is this morning, but I honestly believe that this psalm would say, God is all you need. And he can help you. You read to me verse 7 and 11, and you read it wrong. Oh. <laughs> it says here, the Lord Almighty is with us. I, I actually read 20 commentaries on this chapter this week. There you go. I've done my homework. They reckon that it doesn't actually mean he was with us, but actually they reckon the original, it would have said, he is with us and for us. That's a little bit extra, which is quite helpful, isn't it? We've missed out some of the detail here. The Lord Almighty is with us and for us. I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? Why do we trust? Why do we come to this refuge in crisis? Why do we look for this indwelling power of the Spirit? Why do we believe that he's going to be known across the nations? Because God is with us and for us. 
It's an amazing paradox, really. God inside of us and God our fortress. I can't fully grasp it all. But I do want to challenge us. All you need is found in him. The psalm clearly paints this picture time after time after time. He is your refuge and your strength. Let me be very practical just for a moment as we come to a close. I'm aware that some individuals here, in fact, we've had words this morning. I'm not trying to act as something prophetic. I'm just looking around a room. Some individuals here will be going through a really tough time. Then I want to pray for you that you know God is your helper. That he is your strength. And in just a moment, what we're going to do is we're all going to stand. So I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to say what your problem is. But if you feel, actually, I need your help, I'm just going to ask you to put your hands out like that. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that you would know something of God's strength. The psalm then goes on to say that actually he'll be known across the nations. You see, when I look at the news... I get quite horrified by some of the things that are going on. I don't know a simple answer. I think, oh God, give politicians and that answers. We're then going to pray that actually our world will know something of the refuge of God. And so when we pray for individuals, I'm going to encourage us all to raise our hands like this. It says in the Bible about raising your hands in prayer. And that's a symbol of God. And we're all going to pray out for a nation or a situation. It might be Syria. It might be another nation. You just think, oh God, our world needs you. And we're going to pray. So I'm going to ask you all to stand. And first and foremost, I'm going to pray over every individual. It's between you and God, but just again, if you do something physical with your body, often it's a, a sign, a demonstration of just saying, actually, how it comes. If you think, I need help now, no one's going to ask you, no one's going to put hands, just put your hands out in front of you. Father, I pray for every person with their hands held. God, we do declare that you are a refuge and our strength. We do declare that you are the, the river and that we're fragile. We do declare that you're the fortress. Lord, I don't know all these circumstances, but I do know the God of history, the faithful one. I pray they know you with them. God, I can't promise them trouble-free week. But I can promise them God with them. I pray they be aware of your presence. I pray they drink of you. 